Welcome to Chomping Down the Dietetic Exam, where I, Dietitian Faraz, and you, an awesome person, join forces to chomp down dietetic concepts into digestible bites and provide you with practice questions, rationales, and tips to conquer your dietetic exam, and you will conquer it because you are smart, you are skilled, and you got this. Hit it! Welcome to another episode of Chomping Down the Dietetic Exam. I'm Dietitian Faraz, and thank you for tuning in. So before going into today's topics, I got some really, really exciting news I gotta share with you. So over the years, I've had a lot of podcast listeners and students ask me to develop a program that covers everything you need to know about the RD exam. Well, guess what? That's happened. I've developed a program that's really focused on visual learning, and this program consists of 17 video lectures that cover all four domains and every topic that's relevant to the RD exam. These topics are covered with full explanations, tons of mnemonics, illustrations, animations, tables, and each video lecture also has a pre and post test and a super duper colorful set of corresponding notes. This full program is now available on our website at chompdowndietetics.com. Make sure to check out the program sneak peek video on the website's homepage and feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. With that being said, Let's get right into our first appetizer question. A manager is drafting a plan where she is deciding how much money each department will be given for the next three months. Which role is the manager demonstrating? A. Informational B. Interpersonal C. Disseminator D. Resource Allocator. So before going into this topic, I'm going to tell you that it could be a potentially confusing topic because it's theoretical. And whenever you're looking to assess mastery of a theory, particularly a management theory, assessments in the form of questions could be subjective. And also, due to the names of the categories and the fact that the term information is used in the definition of each category in the sense that interpersonal roles are said to provide information, interpersonal roles are said to process information, and decisional roles are said to use information. This also adds to the potential confusion factor because arguments can be made that certain roles within each category can apply to another category. So I'm acknowledging that this is a tough topic, mostly because of how it's presented in questions and how it's defined. However, we have to know it for our dietetic exams. With that being said, let's chomp it down. So what do managers actually do in fulfilling their jobs besides doing fun runs for finding the cure to rabies? <laughs> Shout out to all the Office fans out there for getting that reference. Well, Henry Mintzberg has an answer for this question, and that's why he came up with 10 roles that managers have when they're at work. 
And these 10 roles are classified into three distinct categories, interpersonal roles, informational roles, and decisional roles. They're all linked together, and they are all dependent on one another. It all starts with interpersonal roles. Because a manager is a manager, they have a certain level of status and authority. This status and authority allows the manager to develop relationships that provide information. And providing information is what constitutes the interpersonal roles. Now, there are three of these roles. Figurehead, leader, liaison. So, when you're acting as a figurehead, you're doing ceremonial or legal stuff and inspiring your employees. You're doing things like attending an employee wedding or meeting dignitaries or cutting the ribbon on the opening of a new branch, things of that nature. It's basically the stuff that makes you look good and build connections. Now, when you're acting as a leader, you're doing things like hiring and training, providing updates and incentives to increase productivity. You discuss performance goals, you motivate, and you evaluate employee performance. To be honest, this is the most annoying role because it's so broad and it's going to encompass the largest scope of activities compared to the other roles. As a liaison, you're serving as a connection between the organization to those outside of it. Acting as a liaison allows for you to establish contacts, relationships with customers, and relationships with suppliers. Now, each of the individual interpersonal roles leads to the second roles of managers, which are informational roles. And through their interpersonal roles, managers develop important contacts that provide information. Without interpersonal roles, managers wouldn't be in a position to gain access to information. Now, since interpersonal roles involve providing information, informational roles, as previously mentioned, involve processing information. And there are three informational roles, monitor, disseminator, and spokesperson. Now, as a monitor, Managers are constantly scanning their environment for information and then process that information. Managers have to keep their ear to the ground and are always waiting for valuable information to relay to subordinates. Once a manager collects this information, they disseminate this information. And that leads us to our second role. As a disseminator, Managers transmit information to subordinates, and that's a key distinction there. Subordinates are involved, since they don't have access to the context that a manager does. So doing things like sending memos or emails with important information would fall in this category. Now, as a spokesperson, which is the third informational role, in addition to disseminating information inside the organization, managers disseminate it outside the organization as well. 
It could be a conference call with investors. It could be conversations with a supplier. It could involve talking to external stakeholders. Okay. So those are the three roles within informational category. So now that you've provided information with interpersonal roles and you've processed information with informational roles, it's time to use that information with decisional roles. And the four decisional roles include entrepreneur, disturbance handler, resource allocator, and negotiator. Now, in an entrepreneur role, the manager seeks to utilize information for the purpose of improving the organization. So you'll be doing things like initiating improvement projects to bring about change, quality assurance, quality improvement, things of that nature. A disturbance handler is responsible for responding to circumstances beyond their control. The circumstance is just too big and too significant to ignore. So things like a labor strike or a product issue or a natural disaster. Then we move on to the next role, which is resource allocator. And this is where the manager decides who in the organization gets what. And the what could be anything from ranging within time money, equipment, any kind of resource you can imagine that would be useful in an organization. Then we move on to negotiator, our final role. Yay! So as a negotiator, managers use authority and access to information because they are uniquely equipped to negotiate on behalf of the organization. So this involves, much like the term implies, negotiation. And you're negotiating things like supplier contracts, employee grievances, employee labor contracts, things of that nature. Now, one of the very positive things about this particular category of decisional roles is that there's a really handy acronym that you could use to remember the specific roles that fall within this category. So you can remember it as NERD. So N standing for negotiator, E standing for entrepreneur, and R standing for resource allocator, D standing for disturbance handler. And you can remember it by saying nerds make all the decisions because someone like Bill Gates, who is a self-proclaimed nerd, he actually calls himself a nerd, he makes a lot of big decisions, and that is a good example to keep in mind when you're trying to remember decisional roles. Just think of nerd, okay? Now, let's revisit our question. A manager is drafting a plan where she is deciding how much money each department will be given for the next three months. Which role is the manager demonstrating? Okay, so our answer choices are informational, interpersonal, disseminator, 
resource allocator. So looking at our answer choices here, let's break them down individually. First, we have informational. Now, the roles that fall under informational include monitor, disseminator, spokesperson. None of these roles really fit what the scenario is in this particular question. A monitor would really be scanning for information and the manager here isn't really scanning for information. It seems like she has the information that she wants to start drafting. So that wouldn't work. And she's not really ready to share it with subordinates because like before we mentioned, she's still drafting the plan. So that doesn't work. And then as a spokesperson, she's not really talking about this plan to anyone outside the company yet. Okay, so informational can be ruled out. How about interpersonal? She's not really acting as a figurehead because she's not doing anything ceremonial or legal or inspiring her employees. She's drafting a plan. So we can eliminate that. She's not really acting as a leader because she's not doing anything related to hiring or training or providing updates, evaluating employee performance, discussing performance goals, or anything with incentives to increase productivity. Now, some of these things may be in her plan, but she's not directly doing them. The whole scenario surrounding drafting a plan is very vague and we shouldn't assume anything when it comes to questions. So we can safely eliminate that option as well. How about as a liaison? Well, not really because she's not really serving as a connection between the organization to those outside of it. She's, again, just drafting a plan. So with that being said, we can eliminate interpersonal as an answer choice as well. Now, since our next answer choice is disseminator and we've already eliminated informational, we can thus eliminate disseminator as an answer choice as well, leaving us with resource allocator. But just to make sure, let's compare whether the scenario in the question matches the role of a resource allocator, which, like we established, is a decisional role. So a resource allocator decides who in the organization gets what, and the what can be time, money, or equipment. And the manager here is drafting a plan where she is deciding how much money each department will be given in the next three months. Therefore, she is definitely working as a resource allocator here. Thus, that is the answer to the question. Okay, let's move on to our next appetizer question. Which of the following is most likely the cause of microcytic hypochromic anemia? A, B12 deficiency. B, folate deficiency. C. Iron deficiency. D. 
all choices listed. So when we were talking about anemia and medical nutrition therapy in general, and whenever I've spoken to students about it, I always emphasize to them that contextualizing why B12, folate, iron are associated with anemia as opposed to just memorizing which ones go with which type of anemia is what will ultimately help students gain the best grasp of the concept and be able to think through anemia questions. With that being said, let's first focus on B12 and folate. They go well together. They complement each other. They're like peanut butter and jelly, popcorn and the movie theater, fried chicken and me. (laughs) Some things just work well together. And me and fried chicken work very well together because I love eating fried chicken. And similarly, B12 and folate work very well together also. And here's why. We have something called tetrahydrofolate. It's a derivative of folate, specifically folic acid. We see it in our jejunal cells, and it gets converted to a more stable version by getting a methyl group attached, and it then becomes methyl tetrahydrofolate. We can abbreviate it by saying methyl THF. So keep this in mind. Now we're going to move on to B12, and we'll revisit folate. So B12 is used to make DNA precursors. Fancy words, but all they mean is that they allow for cell division to occur normally, these DNA precursors. In order to make these DNA precursors, B12 has to find a methyl group. Guess where it's going to get it from? Yeah, methyl THF. So it accepts a methyl group from methyl THF, making methyl cobalamin. And the name for B12 is cobalamin. Now that it has a methyl group from THF, it becomes methyl cobalamin. When this happens, the THF no longer has a methyl group since it's donated its methyl group to B12. So then it gets an extra methylene group from serine, which is an amino acid within cells, and THF transfers this methylene to the nucleotide called DUMP. By doing this, it now becomes DTMP, which then converts to thymidin. And this is the end game, thymidin. This is one of those nucleotides used to build DNA, and it contributes to the nucleus of the cells and allows for cell division to occur normally. So all that work leading up to thymidin. It is a critical part of forming red blood cells because we get red blood cells through a series of cell divisions. What do we mean by cell divisions? Basically, we have a cell, it gets smaller every time it gets divided. Eventually, it divides and gets small enough that it becomes a mature red blood cell 
that is the perfect fit for our bodies. This is the natural behind the scenes stuff that's happening with specific regards to folate and B12 that allows for the process of attaining normal red blood cells to occur. Now, let's look at what happens if we have folate and or B12 deficiency. If we have a folate deficiency, we won't have THF, tetrahydrofolate, because it's a derivative of folate. And if we don't have tetrahydrofolate, it won't turn into methyl tetrahydrofolate. And if we don't have methyl tetrahydrofolate, we won't have a methyl group to donate to B12. And if B12 doesn't get its methyl group, it can't become methylcobalamin. And there is no THF, like we already mentioned. So DUMP doesn't get converted to DTMP, and we don't get thymidine. No thymidine, then cell division doesn't occur properly because the proper DNA contributing to the nucleus is impaired. Now, let's talk a bit about red blood cells. Red blood cells are filled with hemoglobin, and hemoglobin is what binds to oxygen and gives the red blood cells the capacity to carry oxygen. We get red blood cells from the bone marrow. As we mentioned, cells have to go through multiple divisions to eventually become red blood cells, aka they get smaller and smaller until they are mature enough to be circulated in the body. Because we have impaired cell division due to the deficiency in B12 and or folate, the bone marrow produces much larger than normal cells, and these cells are called macrocytes because cells are not dividing. Macro meaning big, cytic meaning cell, big cells, macrocyte. These macrocytes are not going to be normal red blood cells because they're so big, so their oxygen carrying capacity is greatly reduced, and they function abnormally, with many of them ultimately getting destroyed, which results in a low red blood cell count, aka anemia. This is where the term macrocytic comes from because of these macrocytes that are produced by the bone marrow. When the bone marrow realizes the macrocytes are getting destroyed, it gets into a panic mode and it starts producing abnormally developed red blood cell precursors called megaloblasts. These megaloblasts are also generally destroyed, with some of them converting to macrocytes. Thus the term macrocytic megaloblastic anemia. Going back to the term megaloblastic, megalo meaning abnormally great or large, and blastic meaning 
undergoing a given type of development, and the type of development in question is abnormally large or great. If you've ever seen the show King of the Hill, there's this very large store that Hank Hill is not a fan of, and it's called the Megalo Mart. Now, the Megalo actually works on two levels, because first, it's referring to the fact that the prices are mega low, meaning they're low prices, but also megalo, meaning large. So that could be one way that you remember that specific definition for that part of the term. Megaloblastic, meaning abnormally large and undergoing a given type of development, which the development is abnormally large. So this is how B12 and folate are related to anemia. They work together to make the DNA stuff that we need for the process to make normal size red blood cells, which happens when the cells can keep dividing and getting smaller. When we are deficient in B12 or folate, we don't have the DNA blueprints to allow for normal cell division to occur, which makes the cells come out bigger, and they're called macrocytes. Because they are bigger, very few of them survive, and we end up with a low red blood cell count. Since macrocytes don't survive, we start producing megaloblasts to compensate. They also don't usually survive, and the ones that do become macrocytes. The macrocytes that do survive, because they're so big, their oxygen-carrying capacity is greatly reduced, and they function abnormally and also eventually get destroyed. So we can remember all of these varying components by first looking at the first letter of the word folate and B12. The first letter of folate being F, the first letter of B12 being B. So we're going to take F and B. And F and B can stand for Facebook. And some people use Facebook on their Mac computers. The Mac can stand for macrocyte. Also, the Facebook application uses megabytes to run. So megabytes, megaloblastic. Therefore, you can use Facebook on your Mac, but it's going to use megabytes. Therefore, a deficiency in B12 or folate will lead to macrocytic megaloblastic anemia. Now that we have established B12 and folate's role in anemia, specifically megaloblastic macrocytic anemia, let's discuss the role of iron in anemia. As mentioned before, red blood cells are produced in our bone marrow, and red blood cells are filled with hemoglobin. Hemoglobin is what binds to oxygen and gives the red blood cell the capacity to carry oxygen. Now, hemoglobin also gives the red blood cell its red color. 
Hemoglobin consists of four globin chains, two alpha globin chains and two beta globin chains. And these four chains are attached to a ring which contains iron. This iron is what binds the oxygen. Each hemoglobin molecule can bind four molecules of oxygen. Therefore, iron is absolutely critical in maintaining hemoglobin levels because iron is what is keeping the hemoglobin together. It's at the very center of hemoglobin. Now, if we don't have enough iron, then we're not going to be able to have red blood cells filled with enough hemoglobin. And since there's going to be less hemoglobin, the red blood cell will be smaller because it will be filled less, aka microcytic. Micro meaning small, cytic meaning cell, small cell. Also, because there is less hemoglobin in the red blood cell, and the hemoglobin is what gives red blood cells their color, the red blood cells won't be as red, and instead they will be hypochromic. Hypo meaning less, chromic meaning color, less color. So the red blood cells will have less color and will appear paler than normal red blood cells. Thus, iron is related to microcytic hypochromic anemia. A way to remember this is thinking about Mike Tyson, the boxer. Kind of a random reference, but stick with me on this. His nickname used to be Iron Mike because if he hit someone, it's as if they were hit with an iron fist. It was that powerful. The crowd in the boxing arena would always get really hyped when he would punch someone. Therefore, when Iron Mike punches, the crowd gets hype. Iron standing for iron, Mike standing for microcytic, and hype standing for hypochromic. If we have an iron deficiency, we may end up with microcytic hypochromic anemia. Now, let's revisit our question. Which of the following is most likely the cause of microcytic hypochromic anemia? A. B12 deficiency. B. Folate deficiency. C. Iron deficiency. D. All choices listed. So, in reviewing, we can remember that both B12 and folate are related to each other. They work together to make the process of cell division happen normally. Without either one of them, the cell division doesn't happen normally and the red blood cells don't get smaller and become mature. Instead, we end up with macrocytic megaloblastic anemia.
So we can eliminate A and B. Since we eliminated A and B, this also eliminates D as an answer choice because it was all answer choices listed, leaving us with C, iron deficiency. But just for good measure, let's revisit that very quickly. If we don't have iron, then we're not going to be able to have red blood cells filled with enough hemoglobin. Since there will be less hemoglobin, the red blood cell will be smaller because it will be filled less, aka it'll be microcytic. Also, because there is less hemoglobin in the red blood cell, and the hemoglobin is what gives red blood cells their color, the red blood cell won't be as red, and instead, they will be hypochromic. Therefore, iron deficiency is related to microcytic hypochromic anemia. Therefore, C, iron deficiency, is the correct answer. There are a lot of other different types of anemias that all have very intriguing pathophysiology, but for the purposes of this episode, we will stop here and move on to our next topic and our next appetizer question. What's Poppin' Restaurant has a par level of eight bags of popcorn. An employee noticed that the stock of popcorn has fallen to four bags of popcorn. The employee is told to order more popcorn bags. How many should be ordered? A, two, B, four, C, six, D, eight. So par stock is a method of inventory, and in par stock, management determines a maximum number of storage units of a product that should not be exceeded in inventory. And this maximum number is the par level. We should not exceed the par level. Also in par method, you order up to your par each time that you order, regardless of what the amount of inventory you have on hand. You're always going to try to reach up to par. Now, let's say we have a par level of 12 lightly fried fish fillets. And let's say we check our inventory and we see that we only have three lightly fried fish fillets left in inventory. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? So we're going to bring our inventory of lightly fried fish fillets up to par by ordering nine more lightly fried fish fillets so it can be 12 in the inventory. Or if we have six lightly fried fish fillets left in inventory, then we're going to bring our inventory of lightly fried fish fillets up to par by ordering six more lightly fried fish fillets so it can be 12 in the inventory. Therefore, the stock is brought up to the par level each time an order is placed regardless of how much is on hand. 
<laughs> I don't think I've ever said the words lightly fried fish fillets this much ever. It's actually a reference to an old internet meme. Check it out if you get the chance. Now, even though our question is with specific regards to par stock, and we have already went over par stock, there is another method of inventory that is oftentimes presented alongside par stock, and this method is called minimax. In minimax, you establish a maximum number of storage units of a product that should not be exceeded in inventory. Same concept, just like in par stock, except you don't call it par here. You call it max or maximum. Then, you also establish a minimum number of storage units of a product. And then the inventory is allowed to decrease and reach this minimum number, but should never fall below this minimum number. Once this minimum number is reached, you order up to your maximum. Therefore, the amount you order will technically be the same each time because your minimum is going to stay the same each time and you order each time when you reach your minimum to reach your maximum. For example, if you have an established maximum of having 10 bottles of ketchup and a minimum of three bottles of ketchup. This means every time your inventory depletes to three bottles of ketchup, you will order seven bottles of ketchup to get back to 10 every time. This is in sharp contrast to par stock. In par stock, the stock is brought up to the par level each time an order is placed regardless of how much is on hand and the amount on hand when you order can vary. Thus, you can have different amounts that you're ordering each time you order because you don't have a minimum level that you let your stock fall to that dictates when you order and how much you order. When you order in par stock, it's dictated by whenever you decide to order as opposed to in minimax whenever you reach your minimum that is what dictates when you order and how much you order and again in par stock the amount can vary with regards to how much you order each time but in minimax you're going to be ordering the same amount each time. So a couple of very specific distinctions between the two. Now that we have established that, let's revisit our question. What's Poppin' Restaurant has a par level of eight bags of popcorn? An employee noticed that the stock of popcorn has fallen to four bags of popcorn. The employee is told to order more popcorn bags. How many should be ordered? A2, B4, C6, D8. Now, because the question specifically states par level, we know this is 
directly referring to the par stock method. And in the par stock method, management determines a maximum number of storage units that shouldn't be exceeded. This is called the par level. And we have four bags of popcorn. However, in par stock, we will always order to reach our par. So because we are at four bags, we are going to try to reach our par of eight. Therefore, we will have to order four more bags of popcorn. Thus, B is the correct answer. If we had changed the question and asked that we have a maximum level of eight bags of popcorn and we have a minimum level of two bags of popcorn, how much should the employee order? Well, if we've reached our minimum of two bags of popcorn and we always bring it up to our maximum, then the employee should order six bags of popcorn. And every time this happens, the employee will always order six bags of popcorn. All right, that's a wrap for today's episode. Remember to check us out on chompdowndietetics.com where we have our program that covers all relevant topics on the RD exam with video lectures and colorful notes. You can also hit us up on our socials, which are listed in the episode descriptions. And this is where you can request topics and just let us know how you're doing with your exam journeys. With that being said, I will catch you later. Bye-bye.